Doing good things for the environment. Pretty much everybody can feel good about that, right? Supports that. Turns out, though, that not everything that people do, that people pay for to help or protect the environment, is really worth it, or, or in some cases, even effective for what they think they're doing at all. And that's something that, that the farming community certainly has become much more well attuned to. You know, it's easy for somebody in a big city to say, yeah, we need to spend X million dollars to do thus and so. And then you start looking at, well, really, would it help the, you know, in, in this state and with our environmental issues, it's usually surrounding salmon or co- goes back to salmon one way or the other. Would it help the salmon and and to what degree and then we look on the other side the costs of that whether it's the money or or the negative effects on you know in the farming community and the negative effects on the ability of farmers to continue to farm the land and and steward the land and and you start to really scratch your head when you see some of these projects that just don't make sense again they feel good to people yeah well they're helping the environment how can you say no to that And that's usually the predicament a lot of people um, arguing against some of these things find themselves in is they they don't want to be the environmental bad guy, but they're trying to, uh, you know, bring a little bit of balance to the conversation. That's certainly what's going on after late last year, our governor uh, announced his budget. What is it? Like basically a a 20% bigger budget um, that he, he wants us to have. Oh boy, um, and a part of that is a bunch of money that he wants to spend on orca recovery. Of course, we know protecting and, and recovering orca populations, if anything is going to happen there, it has a, has a lot to do with salmon, um, particularly Chinook salmon, the favored food of our southern resident uh, killer whales that are uh, threatened and their populations are dwindling. They're in a, I think, what is it, like a 46-year low in their population or something like that. But will this big whack of money that the governor has set aside for that, will it really help the salmon and the orca, whose fates are, are very much connected in a lot of ways? Will it really do what they say? And what will, what will be the damage that it causes along the way. And really, will that damage outweigh, not even economically or otherwise, but environmentally, will the damage caused by the things that they're trying to do for good actually outweigh any good that occurs? Joining us right now with the Washington Policy Center, the director for their Center for the Environment, Todd Myers. Welcome to the program. Great to have you here. And lo and behold, here we have another proposal. We have another crisis. Never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Uh, that we've been told with, with uh, the the orca populations in the Puget Sound, and we need to do something. A lot of people upset last year after seeing that whale push around her dead baby calf. And it was it was upsetting, but when we step back and, and look at the bigger perspective, it's maybe a different story than than we're being told by some of these folks who are. I think trying to not let this good this crisis go to waste for them to 
to um, uh, pursue some of their their uh, pet environmental projects that may or may not actually have any benefit at all here for what they're talking about. Well, the, and the images of the orca carrying around her baby should make us more serious, not more emotional, because it is a serious problem. And, and although those images are really um, sort of heartbreaking, that is a time to say, okay, now we can't mess around anymore. We have to make sure that what we do uh, makes a difference. And unfortunately, what we've seen um, with um, the governor's budget and some other proposals is, is that we focus on the wrong things. So one of the things that people talk about is that the governor's budget has $1.1 billion in it for salmon recovery, but there are some problems with that. The first is, is that the portion for salmon recovery is actually very low. Um, it's the same amount that he requested two years ago and less than he requested four years ago, despite the fact that this um, budget and the operating budget has $5 billion more dollars, not from tax increases, but just from a good economy. So even though we have billions more to spend, we're actually um, he's actually proposing less than he did four years ago. So there are things we can do. There's also a lot of waste. So, for instance, he wants to spend $750,000 on a task force on the Snake River dams. Well, the problem is, is that we've already done all the science. We know what the science says on the Snake River dams. And furthermore, it's not an issue that the state can control. It's a federal issue. There are projects in the Puget Sound that are of high priority that would help salmon in the near term. That there's one that costs eight hundred thousand dollars, but we're not going to we're not funding that project. We are spending seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars on yet another task force hmm. on an issue that Washington State well, doesn't control. I, I think your first point there is great because if we are going to take this seriously, and that's what we're being told to do, and again, a lot of us, you know, we all saw those images. A lot of us are feeling like this. Okay, now is the time we do really need to take this seriously. If we're going to take it serious, why are we talking about things again? Uh, all over again that have been shown to not be the most effective things. Why are we not finding the most effective things and doing those ones right away as quickly as possible and then working our way down the list? It, but it, it seems to be quite backwards from that. And then, then moving on to what you just mentioned about the Snake River dams. I mean, this is one that farming um, watches very, very closely, not as much here in western Washington where I'm at right now, but certainly in eastern Washington – um, farming and the entire infrastructure there is built around uh, these dams and 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 shipping and irrigation and all the stuff that that, that brings. And at the same time, we've studied. What, you know, first of all, off you said we've we've studied it already. Talk about what what studies have already found about this idea of removing those Snake River dams, which is again the the drumbeat that's that we're hearing. Well, we need to take the dams down. Well, just, just to start off, remember that the, the people who want to tear down the dam say that there, it is necessary salmon. Um, in 1999, a number of environmental groups took out an ad in the New York Times saying that unless we tore down the Snake River dams by 2017, the salmon would be extinct on the Snake River. Um, in fact, salmon populations are much higher today than they were in the late 90s when that ad was taken out. So far from going extinct, the populations have actually increased. NOAA Fisheries, um, which is the you know, federal government their science, um, their research in both 2016 and in 2017, and then they reiterated it in 2018, say that tearing down the Snake River dams would have a, quote, marginal impact 
on salmon. So even if you pour down the dams, it would have a very small impact on salmon populations, but it would cost huge sums of money, hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, why would we spend hundreds of millions, even billions of dollars when you add in lost electricity and the other amenities that you talked about, shipping and right. transportation, for something that has almost no impact uh, on salmon and therefore on orca? We have lots of things we can do, especially in the North Puget Sound, that would improve habitat where we can spend that money. Now, I know that there are, you know, there are always folks who say, look, we spend too much uh, money in government already, and fine, we can argue that. But at the very least, if we're going to make salmon and orca priority, if we are going to spend the money, let's spend it wisely. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's spend it on areas that we have a good scientific list. We have a good science, uh, scientifically prioritized list for Puget Sound and the North Puget Sound about where we can spend money to do things. Let's do that rather than pretend that we uh, tearing down the dams and make a difference. And I'll just add one thing, which is, is that there's an orca scientist at the University of Washington. And I asked her, okay, why should we spend money on the Snake River dams when we have all these other projects? And her response is, well, we can do both. And I said, well, where are we going to get the money? And her answer was, and I'm not making this up, from each according to their ability to each according to their needs. So she quoted Karl Marx as her answer, which basically what? means, you know, we'll, we'll I mean, make wh- whether up. The, we'll whether the, the quote somewhere. applies or not, it's disturbing that, that she needs to be quoting Marx, period. <laughs> it's, it's a bizarre answer, but it, her answer is not only emblematic of her sort of ideology, right. but also sort of the lack of reality that she just says, oh, we'll find the money somewhere. Right. That is an invitation to waste. That is an invitation to spend money where it makes no difference. And that's why we're failing to make progress on environmental problems is because we spend money on silly, ideologically driven approaches rather than on scientifically based approaches. It almost sounds like um, environmental ideologues and activists are almost what's getting in the way of recovering salmon and orcas more than anything. In, in many cases, unfortunately, that's true. Now, that's not entirely true. There are lots of folks that I work with who are on the left who might agree, disagree with me about other things but are very focused on results. Well, One and, and, organization, and, and, and that's why I use the word specifically ideologues and ag- people who are yeah. more interested in getting attention and um, basically you know, spouting memes and, and angry statements and, and overgeneralizing and doing things just based on what feels good or what's politically good. Convenient. I mean, to yeah. me, those are those are the ideologues rather than the, the practical thinkers who are. And I think there are a lot of those folks out there, left, right, and otherwise, who, like you say, aren't aren't working and, and focused on the right things. And I hear those people, you know, again, left or right, groaning at some of this other stuff that the people who are the noisiest um, seem to be talking about ad nauseum. And it's frustrating because, well, it's the squeaky wheel that ends up getting the grease. And I think that's right, and I think there's two lessons for people who are center-right um, to take away from that. First is don't let the ideologues on the left uh, you know, define what you think about environmental policy. Yep. The reason conservatives live in rural areas is because we love nature. We love the environment. We don't live in the cities, right? Um, we want to be out near nature, and we need to be loud about that and say, look, we, we build our lives around love of nature, and we're not going to let the extreme environmental left define who we are. But the second is we need to get more in the game because when conservatives get in the game, what you find is that there are a lot of 
folks on the left who are fr- who are also frustrated with the uh, radical environmental left yep. and want some friends and will uh, work with people who have rational ideas, science-based, effective ideas that focus on results, not just on more government, more taxes, which unfortunately I think is what a lot of environmentalism has come to be defined as. So engage on these issues. Don't be afraid of them. Say what you care about, which is we care about the environment because that's where we live. And the more we engage, the more we can move policy to a rational place that respects personal freedom, respects the economy, but also helps the environment. Well, and maybe that's, you know, that's the, the territory where the big tent is, where people from uh, various uh, political backgrounds and persuasions can come together and agree, yes, we want to work on the environment for the environment, rather than use environmental protection as a political tool to achieve other ends, you know, about uh, getting rid of capitalism or whatever it may be, (laughs) which a lot of people have co-opted that movement to try to do. And it's sad because we do have real environmental pressures to deal with, real environmental things to do. Let's do them and let's do what's most effective. Let's think practically here. I think that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, Todd Myers with Washington Policy Center, their uh, director for their Center of the the Environment, is with us here on the farming show farmers know this uh, as as well as anybody i mean they've been in the crosshairs for years and and admittedly farmers for a long time resisted a lot of this stuff and and poo-pooed some of the environmental stuff but that has changed so much in the last 10 20 years where farmers have really embraced it and, and realized that some of the things that they've been doing all along were about sustainability and that wasn't just a buzzword that was a way of life for them for for generations and they realize how well this actually fits with their lifestyle and and, and their goals and their long-term future for them and and, and their future generations of uh, preserving their family farms um, so they're all about environmental protection but they've also been had the experience of being uh, targeted and lambasted and had things taken away from them even in some cases limiting their ability to actually do practical things to protect the environment by those who are trying to make a political statement or who don't understand them or have some other ulterior motive uh, with their vision of how the environment should be protected. Well, that's exactly right, and and I think the the greatest example that I deal with from time to time um, is biotechnology crops. Biotechnology crops use less water, less pesticide, less fertilizer. Um, all of those things are important for salmon and for the environment generally, and you want to encourage uh, farmers to do more with less. Biotechnology crops can do that, and yet where do you see the opposition to biotechnology coming from? Yeah. Um, and that science is from the left. Um, it's totally counterproductive. Uh, for the environment, um, but that's where you see the opposition. You know, I mean, farmers were environmentalists before it was called environmentalism right. because no farmer wants to waste money on water or fertilizer or pesticide or anything else. And farmers live on the land. They see the land. They see the impacts of what they're doing, and they want to make it as productive as possible, but they also want to leave it to future generations. That's what family farming is all about, is generation after generation. And the biggest concern you hear from family farmers these days is, how can I make this affordable so that it's attractive to my kids and my grandkids? 
And what we keep doing is nickel and diming our, our farms. The Snake River dams is a perfect example. Transportation down the Snake River is much cheaper than alternatives. And so what the environmentalists say is, oh, that's okay. You'll find other methods. Okay. Yeah. That's, it's, it, you Trucks know, the cost is only slightly and, more. Yeah. But okay, it's only slightly more on top of the slightly more that you've caused us in labor. It's the slightly more that you've cost us in terms of regulation, the slightly more that you cost us in all these areas. And if you care about, especially family farms, but all farming, if you nickel and dime them to death, that's why you end up seeing um, aggregated farms. That's why you see family farms giving way to corporate farming. And I, to be honest, I don't have a, a problem with uh, big farmers, but I also know that there's value in family farms and regulation favors the rich. And what we're doing with these regulations is we're driving family farms off the land. Um, and I think that's something we need to avoid. I think you're absolutely right. And and that's something that we talk a lot about here. Again, Dylan Honkoop here uh, on KGMI and the Save Family Farming podcast as well. Um, used to be daily uh, host up there at the radio station uh, here on KGMI. Uh, now I am in full-time farming advocacy, but do still host this show here where we get to talk about farming stuff, uh, particular to the Pacific Northwest here on Saturday mornings. Talking with Todd Myers with the Washington Policy Center. Real quick, because we are just about out of time, but you know we've talked about habitat with the salmon issues, and it's all about our orcas you know are struggling they need salmon uh to eat to to be healthy the salmon need habitat but they also need some other things to be able to recover and that's something that we've been focused on is there's been such a drumbeat of habitat 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 and we've made a ton of progress in the world of building and improving salmon habitat here particularly in the pacific northwest and in western washington and so many good stories but there are more problems than just that. And in fact, right now, there are some more pressing issues, for instance, with marine mammal predation, uh, harbor right. seals um, eating eating baby salmon before they ever get the chance to go anywhere um, that need to be addressed, too. And there seems to be a, a real um, uh, hesitance by a lot of people to even consider that as an option. They're so focused on, no, the only answer is habitat. Yeah, there's actually some good news on that, which is that... Uh, Jamie Herrera Butler, who is a Republican congresswoman from Southwest Washington, sponsored a bipartisan bill to um, allow um, uh, some culling of seals and sea lions at the mouth of the Columbia River, where they do enormous damage to um, salmon runs. They do far more damage than the Snake River dams, according yep. to the science. And so that bill passed and was signed by the president. And to his credit, um, Governor Inslee supported that. And also Senator Cantwell was the sponsor of that in um, the Senate. So there's some very good bipartisan support for doing exactly what you're talking about. And we will see how that plays out. Of course, many in the environmental community are still opposed to that. But the problem with orca is that they're starving now, right? They're not starving 10 years from now. They're starving now. Right. And we need to do things that help them now. Tearing down the Snake River dams won't help for 10 or even 20 years. Dealing with other predators, um, marine mammals that are simply outcompeting the southern residents will help next year, will help immediately. And those are the sorts of things we can do to help now. Um, and unfortunately, the people who are most opposed to them are on the left. They're not the conservatives. 
Todd Myers, Washington Policy Center, thank you for your time uh, this morning. We appreciate it. Keep up the good work, and I encourage people to follow him over at the Washington Policy website and uh, Washington Policy Center website and uh, his ongoing blog. He's got a ton of good stuff up there. He's posting fresh stuff all the time, so check it out. Um, and, you can, uh, and you can even follow me on Twitter at, at WAPolicyGreen if you're on Twitter. Oh, yeah, that is the handle, isn't it? I see you all the time, and I see Todd Myers, but that is the handle at uh, Wild Policy Center Green. Thank you so much uh, for your time, Todd Myers. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.